Welcome to the Follow Your Flow podcast. This is episode number 19. Endometriosis is experienced by 1 in 10, maybe even now 1 in 9 women. It is a condition where endometrial-like tissue grows outside of the uterus, forming adhesions in the pelvic cavity and therefore can affect other organs such as the bladder and the bowel. When the endometrial lining responds to hormonal changes each month, so too do the adhesions growing outside of the uterus, which can cause severe pain along with other complications. The average length of time for a woman to be diagnosed with endometriosis is seven years. And the reasons being that it can be passed off as being just bad period pain or symptoms associated with endometriosis are similar to other pelvic conditions and therefore it gets missed. And also one in three women consult three to four physicians before getting an actual diagnosis. So obviously this takes time. The Australian Institute of Health and Welfare estimated that this condition costs $7.4 billion in 2017 and 18, mostly through reduced quality of life and productivity losses. And they acknowledge that this may actually be a considerable underestimate given the difficulties in diagnosing and underdiagnosing endometriosis. So in this episode, I had the great pleasure of interviewing Jane, my guest. She is a professional woman who is 60 years old this year and works in healthcare, manages large number of people, also works at a university and volunteers for numerous organizations. So Jane has a very interesting history with endometriosis, hence why I was very keen to interview her. So we're going to hear about that in this episode, what she came to in her understanding of the condition and how she was living is incredibly valuable. And I am so pleased that she very generously shared her experience with us on the Follow Your Flow podcast for you all to hear her story. Now, if you experience severe period pain and or have a diagnosis of endometriosis, have you considered counseling as part of your treatment? I work with women one-on-one in a counseling capacity to support them to deal with any trauma associated with these conditions. And there is a lot, often a lot of trauma involved that can be due to the pain itself, the management of the pain, the effects and impacts of the condition on your life. And then I also work with you to look at any underlying patterns that may be contributing to what you're experiencing. Head over to the Follow Your Flow website and go to the Work With Sarah tab and you can get in touch from there. Now, please remember that this podcast is for informational purposes only. If you are considering changing your medical or healthcare plan as a result of listening to this episode or any other episodes on Follow Your Flow, please ensure you consult your medical professional. Okay, let's head over to episode number 19. You're listening to Follow Your Flow. Your podcast on all things women's health, menstruation, and fertility. Your host, fertility awareness educator, women's health practitioner, and lover of all things health and healing, brings her wealth of experience along with the real experiences of women and the expertise of health professionals. If you're looking for real and insightful conversations with real women, along with inspiring and lasting ways to improve your health, then you've come to the right place. Here's your host on Follow Your Flow, Sarah Harris. Today on the show, I'm welcoming a woman by the name of Jane, who I know and who I've read one of her blogs and was really inspired by what she shared about her experience of endometriosis. So Jane lives and works in the UK. She is a professional woman. She works in healthcare, I believe and has a lot to share on this subject of endometriosis, of living as a woman, and understanding how our bodies work and how our bodies change according to how we actually live, the quality by which we live, which she um, has a lot of rich experience, lived experience, and I'm super excited to welcome her to the show. Welcome, Jane. 
Hi, Sarah. Great to have you here. Do you want to share with the listeners a little bit about a little bit about you, your work, and what your life looks like now? Yeah, thank you. Um, so I I work. I've worked in healthcare for forty two years, actually, um, and I also work in a university. I have been someone for all my working life who's worked very long hours. I've actually always enjoyed working and there's been a super lot of long hours this last year while we've been in the pandemic. So uh, I, I travel into central London every day. I work in the hospital. I'm a manager and there's been um, a lot of work to do to support all our clinical staff, particularly in this last 12 months. I absolutely love that work. Um, I get up every morning, I do my exercise, I, I go into work. I really enjoy that. And then I, and then I come home and prepare myself to go to bed. Um, and that might sound to some like it's not full of uh, what you might say certain excitements that we might find in life but I, as a as a woman who's nearly 60 I absolutely value taking care of myself knowing um, that there's quite a lot I need to support and pay attention to during the day for others. And I believe that you actually you manage quite a number of people don't you so work is super busy. Yeah I do I manage uh, I do manage a lot of people a lot of projects and as I say, I also work uh, in a university and I have some other voluntary things that I do as well. So, yeah. Yeah. So, well, you know, you value the the self-care now and can see, you know, and feel the richness of that, which is super amazing. But has it always been like that? Has it? It's like, you know, from what I understand from reading your blog and from your experience of endometriosis, you you didn't come to that until you know some years ago now is that correct yeah absolutely absolutely yeah I, I I could start at the beginning but we might be going back there in a minute I uh, but I probably if you rewind 20 years or so um, and I had had endometriosis for a while and we can talk about that in a moment but I I was a woman who did work long hours but who had a lot of pain in my body. I often felt quite unwell. I pushed myself. I used food and chocolate and cups of tea to get me go going and to keep me going. Um, and I got to a point where I was absolutely exhausted um, and what you might say burnt out in, in a sense, uh, where I had to take for the first time in my working life after 20 years, uh, six weeks off work. And when I looked back, I realized that the momentum of that was decade two decades of not really paying any attention to my own health and well-being and the irony of that is that I was advocating well-being in the workplace and yet there I was looking back at myself going well um, uh, at which point were you looking after yourself because I wasn't and that's huge isn't it working in healthcare and not actually really paying attention to your own health. And I think that that's actually, unfortunately, probably a very common story uh, when we look at the healthcare industry and just in life in general and the way that people work, um, the way that people live and how that impacts their body. And I think we probably skip over that quite a bit, not fully recognising or wanting to admit that that is actually what's happening, that we actually have a part to play in what we experience in our body to some degree. Um, yeah, would you agree with that? Yeah, I definitely would. And and the strange thing was that working in health and I was supporting well-being of, of colleagues uh, amongst other work I was doing, they used to say, oh, you're so stoic, you're so um, strong, uh, you just keep going. And that was almost seen as an award-winning effort when inside I was rotting away literally rotting away because in that six weeks when I was off I had quite a few tests and I actually had accumulated some conditions in my body that that I was quite surprised about but I'd managed to override them with the complete frenetic busyness and and the fact that colleagues just almost say keep going uh, you're great because you can keep going 
rather than um, a, a colleague actually looking at me to say, how are you? Uh, what, what else could you do to look after yourself? Are you really looking after yourself? Yeah, really asking ourselves the question, asking each other the question, you know, what are we doing to look after ourselves? So, so winding back a little bit in, in terms of the endometriosis, what, what was your experience of endometriosis? How did you find out or did you get diagnosed with endometriosis? What, what happened there with your menstrual cycle as you were growing up and, and so forth? I I was I started my periods when I was 11 years old which actually at the time felt excruciatingly awkward as I'd just started the big school as it were um I didn't really know the other girls in the school and um my mum who did her best left a book on my bed to describe so I could read up about periods um and very soon on even though I was quite young I had painful periods and at the beginning it was painful and I would have a painkiller and that seemed to be okay. But actually as the months went on and quite quickly, I started to get extremely painful periods to the point that painkillers didn't seem to touch them. And I would, um, over those early years uh, from 11 to 14, I would on my on the day that my period came and I was reasonably regular um, in, in my cycle but on the day that my period came I would be bracing myself knowing that this pain would come and sometimes I would feel like I needed to pass out some I remember I have a sense and remember laying on the pavement one day on my walk to school because the pain was so bad and so crippling I actually couldn't walk um, and there were times when I would have have to have time off school where I was at home, d- doubled up in bed, and my mum would get me a water bottle and we would go through a series of painkillers. And not a lot touched the pain um, a- at all, actually. And the other thing from quite an early age as well I used to feel was that the pain didn't just come from what I might call um, even though I wasn't super aware of every part of my body, it felt as though it came from my abdomen and, and other areas. I didn't, and my bladder even, it didn't feel as though the pain was just restricted to what you might call the women's area in that part of my body. So, so at that point, I didn't know that endometriosis exists. We had sex education at school. No one mentioned conditions with periods. They just mentioned what periods did and how you got pregnant. That was the basics. Uh, no one talked about the fact that you could have different experiences with periods. And my mom and I actually racked our brains as to what we could do. We didn't have the internet in those days. Um, we went to the GP a few times. And in the end, by the time I was 14, the GP put me onto the contraceptive pill, which myself and my mum agreed to because I was underage. For that because he said the only way we might stop the pain was by having the contraceptive pill. So I was on that quite early on. Um, it did seem to change the pain, but it also changed the flow and the cycle of the period. And I wasn't that keen, even at that young age, to be taking tablets, but I, I was absolutely desperate. So, so that was my first sense that something wasn't quite as it could be but I didn't really have any markers. I didn't have anyone to talk to. Even the doctor didn't talk about any conditions. So I I felt quite sort of blindsided in those early days. And as I got into my teenage years a bit later, and even as I left school, um, I still really wasn't aware about those conditions, but still struggled through adding in whatever new painkillers came on the market um, and whatever was possible. That's, you know, quite extraordinary, but unfortunately quite common, you know, one in 10 women experience endometriosis and that's only, you know, women that have been actually diagnosed. So I'm sure there's, you know, a much bigger number of women who actually feel that kind of debilitating pain each and every month. And it's interesting, isn't it, that, you know, we've kind of 
got it in ourselves. I think it's improving to some degree with the awareness of endometriosis and other conditions, but we've kind of, it's kind of been brushed off, you know, and I don't know what your experience was of that, but did you find that it was sort of brushed off a little bit? Well, this is just, I mean, I know your, your mom was obviously concerned and um, potentially your doctor as well, but as if this is just what we have to deal with, you know, this is just what we have to go through as women and really the only solution is painkillers and the pill. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, I, I really, just sitting here, I really don't remember, as I say, anyone actually, <coughs> excuse me, talking about what are, whatever things could be happening apart from the fact that you had a painful period and actually, hey, with a few painkillers, that's it. Sorry, that's your life. I mean, basically, when you're in your late teens and you're looking ahead and you make an assumption that you're going to live um, at least until you go to menopause, if not longer, um, to have that trajectory ahead of you and to go, well, this is my life, that every month I'm going to have a day or two where I'm in such crippling pain I can't even think. I feel like I'm going to vomit. I sweat. I double up. My bowels go all at all askew. Um, I have pain in other parts of my abdomen. And actually, it was socially awkward as well because sometimes, although I would know roughly the day that that would happen, I didn't know exactly. And if it if it just came on, which sometimes it did, and I was out at school or with friends, everybody knew what was going on with me. And and that I found at that age because I was felt quite sensitive that 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 was really socially awkward as well. And um, around that, when I got to around, I suppose, 18, 19, I had my first serious, whatever, I, I didn't, uh, boyfriend. Um, and I had to explain all of that to him. And he was super sweet and supportive. But I also noticed that he was very disturbed watching when I was in so much pain as my mum was. And I was, um, I was with him for some years. And in that earlier part, I suppose I was around 20 then, I managed to get a referral to hospitals from the GP because um, it really was ridiculous that this pain was, was so awful every month. And the GP did refer me to a gynecologist. And I was really excited to feel that I might find out some more information or what was going on or what choices I had. And I remember going in to see the gynecologist who had, <coughs> had a nurse there as well, who did a quick examination and then sat down and just looked at me and said, okay, the only thing you need to do is get pregnant. Basically, if you have a baby, then everything will be sorted. So that's what I would suggest. And I was absolutely devastated because I wasn't married and it's not a problem that you need that you have children when you're not married, but I was young with the, with, with the boyfriend I had. I was just starting off in my career and it was the last thing on my mind was to be even considering that I might have children. And to feel that that was the only option was really um, devastating. That, that When I look back in my life, that was one of those stop moments where I actually um, really was taken aback. Absolutely. Yeah, and to feel that that's the only solution for you in terms of treatment. Did you get any understanding of what condition they mention endometriosis? No. Um, I, I that was literally the conversation. Wow. What I said was the whole conversation. I had no sense that there might be a condition that was going on. I had no sense that anything else was happening. And so I struggled on with uh, painkillers and um, for some years after. And actually, it got quite a lot worse in the years that followed. And also combined with the fact that I came off the pill because I'd been on the pill then for a decade by the time I, I carried on struggling with this. And I was advised because my family had strokes and other other histories, vascular uh, problems that I was advised I needed to come off, which was equally actually devastating in that probably around that time was the time when, if anything, I would have wanted to have chosen to have gone on to the contraceptive pill 
but I'd already used my time, as it were, on the contraceptive pill, so I had to forego that. And um, the pain then would be awful in work. I would have to leave work on the day that I had my period. Often colleagues would not know how to support me. And I remember a few times having to go to A&E, emergency department, in the middle of the night with pain and literally leaning over the reception desk to say, "I, I, I just don't know, I'm beside myself. Can you do anything? And what would happen then with the pain as it got worse in those years was I would also want to have diarrhea. I'd want to feel as though I was going to vomit. I'd feel shaky. It it was almost like my whole body was in that pain cycle. And and when I went to casualty, they would give me whatever the strongest painkiller was. Sometimes I would have blood tests or x-rays and examined. Um, But nobody still at that point mentioned the words endometriosis. Wow. So so when was endometriosis mentioned or was it or wasn't it yeah so then um a little bit later from that so I suppose I must have been coming up to around 30 I did have an I because on my records in the GP they would have had lots of um visits from me in relation to my periods I did change GPs because I'd moved uh moved home Um, And one day I was talking to the GP about my periods and um, bearing in mind, I've obviously, I'd obviously had tests over the years, but no one had really said anything. And this GP, as, as they were talking to me, just said, well, endometriosis does affect parts of your abdomen. Uh, It can affect the tissue outside of your cervix or your uh, womb and other places. And that was the first time anyone said that to me. And actually, when they said that to me, and the fact that the pain could start, could be in other places in the abdomen area, again, that was a moment where I was a bit dumbstruck because no one had ever mentioned that. And in a way, also, I was relieved to know that I wasn't going mad in thinking that I had pain, not just in the areas where you would expect to have period pain. So that was my first relief was oh, gosh, I'm not crazy. I could actually have pain in other areas. And that was related to something that had a medical label to it. So, and and that was the first doctor that actually then had a chat with me to say, look, I don't know if anyone's ever spoken to you about this, but there are some options. You can have surgery. You can, uh, we can consider um, other things and basically laid the surgery out for me and what that might entail and left me to go and consider that. And that really was the first time anyone had talked. And when I left the surgery, uh, we did then have the early, um, we, we had places where you can find out information about endometriosis. So I was able to actually look it up. I was able to talk to people. I was able to then, it was like a, a lid had come off And I could suddenly look out and around the world and go, oh, my gosh, I can talk to people about this. I can actually feel as though I'm kind of normal, but not normal. But I have an understanding and I know I can now talk about something and learn more about it to look at how I could support myself and what the options are, including the surgery. Amazing. Yeah, but unfortunate that it took so long for you to get that kind of diagnosis or feedback or get that kind of, uh, I guess, yeah, communication from a medical professional about what was actually happening in your body. Also very confirming of the fact that, you know, we always feel, we always know to some degree what's actually going on, even without the medical professionals. Do you know what I mean? Like you could feel that there was other parts of your body that was affected, which as you say, is what happens in endometriosis can happen when the endometrial-like tissue grows outside of the uterus and can actually even stick organs together, you know, can, can actually stick the bladder and the uterus together and the bowel and therefore then responding to the hormones throughout the cycle can create enormous amounts of pain for some women. Yeah, yeah, and and... 
The, at that time still, though, I mean, uh, how, how many years ago was that? We'll say it was about 20 years ago. It was still, it was still not normally talked about, um, but, but at least there were the early um, embryos of people discussing it, and that felt as it, in itself, that's hugely supporting. To know, one, that you can understand more, two, that you can talk to people about it, and, and, and that there are a whole range of potential um, options that might support you. It, it makes a huge difference. And I realise now we're talking that it, if you go around blindsided by something and you, you know yourself that something's not right, as you say, um, but, but you keep bumping up against a brick wall that's kind of saying, well, you just have painkillers, you just have painkillers, you both just have painkillers. It, it, that in itself is very exhausting. And I, I really had got very tired of having a condition that I didn't know I had, but yet I did know I had something. And I was really, really very uh, drained by that. So that gave me a little more um, energy, as it were, to um, start to, to look at things. Yeah, great. And so then what, what happened from there? So I know you came a long way you know, in terms of looking after yourself and, and looking at ways to to address what was happening in your body once you recognised that something actually really was going on in your body, what changes did you make and what actually then did you experience? Yeah, so as those years, as I went through my 30s, I, I chose at the time not to have the surgery because it felt um, it felt quite invasive even though someone might say to you, well, you had all that excruciating pain for all those years, why would you not opt for surgery? There was a part of me that wanted to look at other options and how I could support myself. And as I then knew that there was a condition and I could actually uh, be referred to talk to people, I could talk to women's health specialists and, and other people, I learned to differently manage the pain, if you would call it that. There were better painkillers pain that had, were always coming out at that point as well. Um, I, learned, I learned a lot more understanding of my cycle. I would, was going to a women's health clinic and one of the um, healthcare practitioners there showed me how to uh, track my cycle and how to understand what was going on with my cycle. And so I diaried all that. I worked with them so I could understand what was happening and when. I had much clearer understanding of when I might have a period, of how to support myself in the run-up to the periods and after. Um, I also uh, sought support of um, things like uh, supplements because around my period I would feel very, very tired and that supported me as well. Uh, but it wasn't until I reached my 40s where I met some very wise, what you might call mentors and uh, support, who uh, some practitioners who were absolutely amazing, who for the first time actually asked me, because up to this point, bear in mind, I'd had a lot more support than in my 30s and early 40s. And then one day I went to see an amazing practitioner who who said to me, have you ever considered how you live your life and that how you live your life has an impact on how your body would respond or react to the way you live your life? And indeed, that whole cycle of your periods, whilst you know how to track your periods and you know what's happening in the physical aspect of your body, have you linked how you are with what happens? And I hadn't ever been asked that actually and I was this as I said earlier this woman who had a very busy work career I was also one of those people who would support everyone around me in my life never found a lot of time for myself as I say kept myself going on um, yeah sugars and other things and no one had really said well the way you are in your life is the way you'll be in your period for instance and so I actually started to track that then, not just when my period was, but how have I been each month? How am I looking after myself? 
And that's when the self-care and the self-support that I had really ramped up because what was very exposing was when I had had a really, really busy month, given myself no time, not really eating properly, like I would eat, buy chips um, on, from the chip shop after a long day at work. I'd put them on the car seat next to me, the passenger seat, and that would be my supper. I'd eat them on the way home. And that, that would make me feel sleepy enough to go to sleep because I knew I was too wound up to sleep because my day had been busy. And that, and that was my kind of level of self-care. So it wasn't really very self-caring. But what I started to do was look at those things. Where are you shortcutting your days? Where are you not um, looking after yourself? Where do you pause? How are you even resting? Do you even rest? What's your sleep like? What's your food like? So that was the start of a, of another step change. But that this time, that was a really, really different step change because for the first time in my life, I started to notice that some months I had less pain in my periods. And that was the first time that that had happened for decades. And that in itself was an absolute eye-opener. Amazing. And um, this is like, you know, absolutely revelatory for you know, hopefully for, for many women who are actually listening to this episode because what you're sharing here is the actual lived experience of really looking at addressing, you're actually addressing self-worth, yeah, because, you know, self-care actually, I guess the underlying aspect of self-care is self-worth. You know, if you feel like you're only worthy of the, the chips on the way home in the car, then that's your kind of level of, you know, self-care, then that's directly related to how you value yourself and how you value your body and how you value, you know, what you're putting into your body and how you're caring for your body. So I I feel like, you know, that's probably directly linked. Would you agree with that? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, definitely. And I'd become, become addicted to chocolate, um, I mean, chocolate can taste good for sure, but I'd become completely reliant on uh, chocolate and so much so that I couldn't live a day without quite some chocolate. And through the support of those wise um, practitioners, I started not to look at trying, for instance, to take chocolate out of my diet because that we often just jump to go, right, okay, I'll just stop that. I What I did was said, Okay, so as an example of looking after myself, why is it I need so much chocolate? And I really did need it. So why? And I started to observe what was going on. Yes, okay, I'm I'm very tired. I'm more tired than I'm being honest about. Why am I so tired? Okay, I'm people pleasing. I'm a I'm an absolute people pleaser who runs around wanting to make sure everybody else is all right. And as long as everyone else is all right, then that's then I'm all right from that. But I also got to realize how much, if you would call it recognition, was in that. I, it was like I was feeding off the need for them to um, be seeing what I was doing in the world. And, oh, Jane's so busy. She's so helpful. She's so supportive. And that was, to go back to that self-worth, that was how I was getting my self-worth. Like I was feeding off that. But what was interesting about that model of living is that I then needed chocolate to supplement because it was draining me. It wasn't building me. It wasn't. So so there was something wrong with that model, but I hadn't considered that until, I, again, I was given the ask of, so why don't you have a look at, you know, how's about looking at why we do some of the things we do? And I looked at that and realized that very humbly over a few years. It, it wasn't a few months looking at these things. It, these, some of these things took a little while. But one day I realized I wasn't buying chocolate anymore. I, I wasn't buying chocolate. But actually, in that time when I looked back, I'd started to feel more settled about saying no, about giving myself space, say, at a weekend, about not ask, not saying yes when relatives wanted to come and fill my house up when I'd just had a really busy day and people wanted to just come and sit around in my house. And I would say, nope, I, I actually need the space for myself. And, and so it was almost like I was rebuilding 
as something inside me that was supporting me. And all the while, it, like magic, the medical aspects or the physical aspects was were also changing. And I suppose one of the things I would say there that I really would is important is I was for the first time building a relationship with my body because I hadn't up to that point, you know, I'd been to GPs. I was looking out for the medical profession to solve my problem. And to some extent, that's fine. Absolutely. I mean, I did have some amazing support from practitioners, particularly the women's health uh, folks and and that, that GP through the diagnosis and other things. I definitely had some great support. But what I realized was that I, I'd become dependent on only them actually being the ones who would be able to support me or change things. And through this period of getting to know myself, understanding how my body worked, listening more, changing habits, being honest about how I felt, and talking to these um, healthcare, these practitioners that, that really supported me over the years, I got to see that we don't have to be only reliant on the medical profession and they have a really really super important role and I would be back to my GP's practice like a shot if I need to Um, but that we have a lot we can do with ourselves and a lot of responsibility for this body that we have. I just love love what you're sharing because it's so true I mean there's the medical aspect and then there's also you know you, you were talking about supplements before we can also use that as well to kind of fix our issues but the real magic happens like you say when we actually you know use what's needed there but then actually really looking underneath to see why and how well how we're living and then why we choose the behaviors that we choose and it was beautiful the example you just shared of the chocolate you know it's um there's so many things to look at in terms of our behaviors to look at underneath and go, okay, well, why is that actually happening? And I love what you shared with, you know, how you were there for everybody else, everybody else, and how draining that that actually is for your body. But we kind of don't consider that unless we really stop and check and go, hang on a minute, ask the questions, how am I actually living? What am I actually doing? And how is this actually serving me? And then how is that impacting my body, you know? And and the and uh, something from that which is quite I found quite interesting and revealing in itself was that as I was taking more care of myself, some of my the people around me um, were actually reacting. Um, so someone uh, said to me, "Well, if you go to bed earlier, that means I've got no one to stay up with me." and basically entertain me and then I changed some of the food I was eating and another person close to me um said well that's really inconvenient that you're changing your food I I, uh, why would you do that you're so antisocial and so it's interesting that others can react when actually if they looked in my eyes and they looked at the quality of my hair and my skin they would go boy oh boy wow you're looking really well what are you doing maybe we could have a bit of that magic too but rather than that they would complain um about the fact that I was taking care of myself which I I found didn't quite make sense but I that 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 in itself um is revealing but the other part of this Sarah is that I was I, I um I work in health uh when I get into taxis taxi drivers often say what do you do and I talk about it And a taxi driver said to me a little while ago that he knew he needed to lose weight. And his GP said to him, you need to lose weight. But he said to me, but my GP is is much bigger than me, much, much bigger than me. And he said, so I don't feel inspired to lose weight because my GP doesn't seem to do anything about it for himself. And that got me thinking and thinking about this as well, Sarah, because in the earlier days, I had some very super kind, um, super sweet, say, women's healthcare practitioners. But in a way, there's something around that they were they were giving me information and what they'd learned. 
And as I say, it, it was very supportive. So I, I'm not denying there's a problem with it. We, we need to know. I, I need to know that they've done their studies and they know what they're talking about. But within themselves, I didn't get the inspiration to actually look at myself as a woman. Whereas the practitioners, practitioners I saw when I was in my 40s had were living in a way where they themselves had been through the conundrums I'd been through. They'd looked at some of the things that were going on in their lives and their bodies. And because they'd done that, that was an opening that then I was able to go, well, actually, here's someone who has a voice of experience. Here is someone who is offering me something, but I know that they've also been through these considerations. And I felt that made a huge difference as well. Absolutely. You know, if we're not, and then, and then the follow-on effect of that is that you are now that for so many others. You know, you are that, that living example, I guess, of someone who, you know, your model is completely different. Your model previously was one way, and I guess that's the, the relationships that you were talking about that you'd built in the old model. <laughs> and then, you know, when you, when you started you know, going to a new model, then people had to get used to that model and then, you know, they will react, yes, but then they can also be inspired by the living example of someone who's actually has a relationship with their body, is listening to their body, is not afraid to say no, is honouring of how they feel, all of those things that actually impact our health, actually impact our physical health it has that flow on effect. It can't be separate. We can't separate, you know, the way that we live and the the way that we move through each day, the interactions, the way we interact with people, the way we interact with life, the right way we interact with all the different aspects of our lives. We can't separate that from our physical health, what's going on in our body. It's it's so intertwined and interlinked that we, but we just don't, we, we kind of override it. We don't think it does, but when we actually feel the impact of how we know it does, then you don't want it to be any other way. Absolutely. And, and what I love from where I had got to then throughout my late forties, I, I was, um, heading towards menopause. And as the years had gone on and the more I took care of myself and had the support of others and, and genuinely allowed the support of others because I was Mrs. Independent, Stoic, I can do everything myself, I don't need the support of others, who are you to interfere in my life, all those kinds of things. But once I really opened myself up to support, true support from others, true inspiration from the way others were living, the pain really got less and less to the point that just prior to menopause, I actually had pain-free periods. And, and, and really, for me, that was um, a beautiful way to finish that cycle from 11 years old of starting my periods <clears throat> and the extreme pain that had gone on for quite some decades to be able to complete the cycle um, by having a, a year or two where I had pain-free periods. And then where I was able to go into menopause with barely any symptoms. I had one particular symptom, which I sought support for, which was brilliant. But I really felt, I actually felt very well at the end of what was um, a whole cycle in life. Amazing. So, so if you could sum up then, you know, the, in a few words, the quality of the, how you were living in the original model. And then the quality of how you're living in the new model, which I guess in truth is probably the original model. But anyway, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> so if you could sum up in a few words the difference between the two, what what was the first one and what was the second one? Yeah, the first one. What um, the first one was where I, I I actually as a young woman I was looking around for role models, but I I had. Uh, people around me who didn't look after themselves. So I didn't really have any role models uh, like that. So the first one was where at the way I was, um, what would you say, programmed um, was you get up, you work really hard, you please others all the time, 
you um, it doesn't matter if you have aches and pains or if you feel wretched in your body or how tired you feel. There's no sense of sensitivity for yourself or tenderness as a woman. And actually, you have to go to the medical model to pick you up if you have get into problems. And, it, and if they can't fix it, then you feel completely um, at sea. Um, and as I say, there's no problem with that. But I didn't really look at my own life and no one ever really asked me. So we weren't really saying, well, how are we living? Uh, we were just saying, OK, this is it. This is the deal. You get on, you feel rubbish, you keep going, you feel rubbish. That's just part of the deal. So that was the first model. And that was me independent, didn't want support, carried on, pushed through. Pushed um, through, overriding. Overriding. Yeah. Yeah. They're not, not paying attention to my body, uh, really pushing my body aside completely, yeah. ignoring it, completely hardened to the world and so on. Um, and then I would get all self-righteous and resentful because I'd look around and go, well, how come this is my life? And I'd be really resentful about that. So you just end up going round and round in circles in this. That's and that you, was the first model. And you'd be resentful of your body as well, you know, just... I imagine resentful of your body and that just drives the that lack of self-worth even more you know it's a vicious cycle that's a great point and you feel as though you're this you're wrong you're not the same as others you're comparing with others why aren't my periods like others and so on and yeah you can be hard on your body for being uh in in the situation it's in so yeah so that was my that was my model for quite some time the model I, I, that I've now got to with the support of many others is that it all starts, it all starts with me. I, I've got this one um, body here that is pure gold and I can learn a lot from my body. I listen to it and actually it's the boss. I have to say my body's the boss. Um, it, it shouts pretty loudly if, I'm, if I've gone wayward. Um, which, which I love, uh, even though I sometimes feel rather humbled by it or awkward by it. Um, and whereby I realize that you have so much more choice about the way you live in life. You do have choices. I, I can work 13 hour days, which I do, and not, and not feel completely exhausted, burnt out. Not, I don't have chocolate at all. Um, and I, ha I have learned to live in a way where uh, I'm much more honoring, but I also learned to live in a way where I ask for support. I will ask for help. I will say if the workload is too much, I will call things out. I will stop. I will take pauses. I will rest um, because I, I know that I would very quickly get quite sick if I didn't. So quite the difference I too and as I say I still go to my GP I went recently and had some blood tests absolutely loved that the, the support that was there so I could check in see how things were so it's not a life without the medical model at all it's one where I feel more empowered when I go into the doctor's surgery to feel that I also understand how, what I need to do too it's a partnership you go yeah partnership so you're not actually giving your power away you're not thinking that that's the answer or the fix you're actually going in there as an equal partner in the process yeah absolutely and one thing that stood out there was you know just feels like your your life in the new model is one that is very enriched you know there's there's, it's like a win-win for everyone. You know, you, you fill up yourself more, you uh, honor yourself more, look after yourself more, say no where it's needed and all of the things that you were just saying. And everyone else wins as well because they get more of you. I'm sure that perhaps you can talk about, but your relationships with people and um, the way that you are with, you know, your employees all of those things would be far more quality, uh, far more higher quality or better quality, I don't even know what the word is, but in, enriched quality <laughs> um, than they were before. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm very, very steady at work. Yeah. Um, very solid, very steady. Um, I, I, I don't get flustered. I'm not perfect. Um, I mean, I work in quite an intense environment, but... Um, I am very steady. So people would see me quite consistent in the way I am. 
um, very open to um, supporting others, absolutely able to support others to empower themselves in, in their own way. Um, so I'm not taking on everybody else's issues. I'm supporting them to find their own way. I, it, it's it's a bit like I I like to be made redundant, if you would call that call it that, through knowing that others can find their own way to support themselves. And uh, my relationships with everyone around me has completely changed. I used to be very snappy, very rude actually, to my relatives uh, when I was younger because of all this. I really was quite rude. I, I quite shiver now when I feel how I, how my mum would ring me up and I and I I, I would yeah, I would be very rude, but I I'm I'm not like that now. I don't I I love people. I love being out in the world. I love the magic of the world. And you know what? I look in the mirror now and I'm more and more loving myself, which I could not have said. Um, even 10 years ago, let alone 20 or 30 years ago. So for, for bre breaking the mold, you know, I'm, I'm coming up to 60 this year. I'm uh, post-menopause and I feel like life's just beginning. And that, and that really is quite the difference. That's absolutely beautiful. Absolutely amazing, Jane. You're a, an amazing example, living example of what's possible when we actually listen to our bodies when we have a relationship with ourselves and I love everything that you've shared today on the show and thank you very very much for joining us I, I love the the models you know model model one and model two I hope that uh, women listen to this and I know that that they will get a lot out of everything that you've just shared so thank you dearly for coming on the show and uh yeah all the best with everything Thank you. Absolutely loved it. You're listening to Follow Your Flow podcast with Sarah Harris. Subscribe on iTunes, follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter and get in touch. All details on www.followyourflow.com.au slash podcast.